Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I am Rachel. My pronouns are they, them. And I literally just watched one of the matches for this episode a few minutes ago, and I'm still kind of shaking from excitement. And I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her. Today, we bring you our deep dive on none other than All Japan Pro Wrestling's ace, Suwama. We both felt like he is an interesting and often overlooked piece of the pro wrestling landscape that deserves more attention. We're so excited to share his life and career with you, as well as some All Japan promotion history along the way. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Some of the information we are going to discuss today comes from a Shukan Parasu article I had translated by Kana, who has a profile over at Fiverr. I highly recommend Kana if you're thinking of having anything translated professionally. She was wonderful to work with, and I'll link her profile in the show notes as well. I had done some research before going with someone on Fiverr and then her, as there were several options of translators. So I do highly recommend doing your research and setting a budget for yourself because this work is rightfully pricey. The article itself is from a series called Wrestler's Human Story that used to be ongoing in Shoe Pro, but I believe it stopped around 2019. I'm not 100% sure when it began. The tagline for the series was following each athlete's history and their journeys. The series was pretty cool because they covered a lot of people lower on the totem pole in their respective promotions and people that weren't a part of what are often considered the major companies. So you would see people from promotions like Dragon Gate or BJW get profiles, but they would still cover some of the bigger stars as well. I own issues where Junakiyama and Kazuchika Okada had profiles done on them. So the series really did cover a wide range of wrestlers when it was still active. The article I had translated on Suwama is from issue number 1703. It's from September 18th, 2013. The writer and reporter is Kenji Miao. It's from a Kenta cover, and he's posing with a politician whose name I don't know. I'm just not familiar <laughs> with him. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about the article and the series it came from a little bit because it was fun to be able to afford to submit something to be professionally translated for the first time. And we really hope to do more of this with future episodes. So, on to Suwama. Kohei Suwama was born in Fujisawa City, Kanagawa Prefecture, on November 23rd, 1976. Fujisawa City is well known for Anoshima Island, which is a small offshore island that has some of the closest sandy beaches to Tokyo and Yokohama. There's a large resort on the island and the adjacent coastline, so there's a lot of tourists there during the summer months, and as a result, growing up, Suwama didn't get to use the beaches or go swimming all that much because his parents' home was a 30-minute drive from the beach, and during the summer, tourists would often cause a lot of traffic jams. One of the things I found kind of funny from the Shupro article is that Meow notes even though you might imagine a Shonan boy because of his proximity to Shonan, he was definitely not one. He was a kind boy who never caused any trouble for his parents. Shonan is the name for the region that encompasses places like Fujisawa City. And I'm assuming that perhaps people or boys from the region have some sort of reputation, but Miao is quick to assure us that young Suwama Kohei was a very good lad. We'll get to evil executive director Suwama <laughs> later, of course. Perhaps a uh, late stage rebellious period. Yeah, that's yeah. ongoing. Yeah, yeah, it's still going, still going. Suwama does love his hometown and was able to perform there in May 2012, which is kind of a fun fact. They made it like a charity event. 
Suwama is from a family of four. His father worked as a civil servant, and then he had his mother and an older sister that was about five years older than him. What is really cool about Suwama's family is that they were all extremely passionate about Parasu. They were a pro wrestling family, just genuine fans. When he was kindergarten aged, his parents would take him to shows and it became a real part of his life to the point where he remarked that it wasn't really anything special, just in the sense that it was something he grew up with and always knew. Pro wrestling was always on TV in the Suama family house and he had toys and dolls and would mimic playing pro wrestling with them as a really young kid. Suama's father was an All Japan man and back then it was a lot more common for you to watch All Japan or New Japan, but not really both. So Suwama watched All Japan like his dad. His favorite wrestlers were Jumbo Saruta, Genichiro Tenru, Stan Hansen, and Bruiser Brody. Suwama said, my parents took me to many pro wrestling venues. In Yokohama, I saw Baba and he was huge. I saw Bruiser Brody howling with a chain. I was always so impressed by these shows. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> that checks way, out right? all the way down. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> In elementary school, Suwama became involved with his baseball team, and he was team captain, of course. He continued to play baseball as he entered middle school and became a first baseman. But after baseball practice, him and his friends would go to the sports shed and practice pro wrestling moves on each other because pro wrestling never stopped being a part of his life, and his friends were just as into it as him. Suwama said, we did three or four matches of singles and tags. My special move was the left lariat also the small package, and I used to mimic Masanobu Fuji's jackknife. I like that he put on full shows, like with matches and singles, and they probably had to fight over who was main event and everything. So early uh, producing there, which is interesting, especially when we look back on like Takagi, who did similar things as as a kid during our uh, Takagi biography episode. Yeah, good comparison there, actually. That That's right. Takagi was another guy who was like, yeah, we used to play pro wrestling in the recess yard, which is, yeah, yeah and, that's great. And he, like, booked his own shows just like that, like, with actual matches and feuds, yeah. Well, actually, speaking of Takagi, Suama also recalled going to major Parasu events like the Wrestling Summit held between All Japan, New Japan, and WWF on April 13th, 1990 in the Tokyo Dome and how it was all they could talk about in class. He would have been 14 years old at the time of that show. I loved seeing this come up again because we talked about this with Takagi when we (laughs) interviewed him before Cyber Fight Festival and he had memories of being there as well. Another really fun quote from Suwama about him and his friends when they were young was this bit about him reacting to when Tenru walked out of All Japan. He said Tenru quit All Japan and it was such a big deal. Like, what is going on? My friends went to New Japan events to see Atsushi Onida and stuff and I was more into All Japan. So I used to go to Budokan and watch SWS flag raising matches. And I just thought this was so delightful. Like, he's just like us. He's discussing the latest discourse with his friends, which is just (laughs) like hilarious. (laughs) Oh, man. So it's very safe to say at this point that Suwama spent his middle school years just dreaming of pro wrestling. And in his second year, he started talking about wanting to become a professional wrestler with his group of friends. Meow said that Suwama's father told him to become whatever you want to be. And Suwama was raised in an environment where he could really do what he wanted. I'm going to make some comparisons to other people throughout the episode, but this really reminded me of the way Naomichi Marafuji was raised as well. In Marafuji's autobiography, Heir to the Ark, he talks about being raised virtually the same way from a philosophical standpoint. 
His mother was adopted and felt very indebted to her parents. She became a nurse and worked really hard to support her parents and then her own family. All she wanted, and also all Marfuji's father wanted, was for their four boys to do whatever they wanted to do in life, but to do it with total conviction. And Suama being raised similarly in that he had free reign from his family to pursue his passion is noteworthy to me. With the thought in his head that he was going to become a pro wrestler, he decided to pursue judo. It was important to Suwama that he learn ukemi. Ukemi means receiving body or self and refers to the person receiving a move in judo. This would be pretty critical for someone looking to pursue pro wrestling, especially if you're aware of Giant Baba's philosophy on the art of pro wrestling. He found a local gym and would train in judo in between baseball practices. He also contemplated learning guitar during this period, and it was not noted here by Meow, but I thought this was kind of fun because that feels like such a way to embody Jumbo Saruta, who was a performer and played guitar as well, and the Jumbo comparisons are not going to stop here. Based on the article, Jumbo's baseball club friends joined him in learning judo as well with the intention to become pro wrestlers along with him, but of his group of friends, Suwama was the only one to make it to where he is today. No one else became a pro wrestler. Suama said, they must think that it's strange as I would not be doing pro wrestling today if I hadn't been training with them. His friends are all proud of him for making his dreams come true. That was my question is if they were still sort of in contact with him. So that makes me happy. (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like from the article that they were. So it's nice. As he got into high school, he actually became very serious about judo as a sport and joined the judo club. He was so serious about his judo training. He'd come home from training, go straight to bed and wake up and immediately go to do more training. And this is really interesting and one of the most relatable things about him in the entire episode. He reaches a point where he just sort of takes a break from watching pro wrestling. I think it happens at a very relatable age for many of us as well, but he was so invested in judo and making himself physically stronger that he didn't have the time he used to have for pro wrestling. Suama remembered following Parasu on TV until Super Generation Army formed, but once the Four Pillars era really kicked off, he didn't follow it for a time. The judo athletes in Suwama's club were made to compete in either a sumo or wrestling tournament once a year, and Meow notes that this is because there weren't enough athletes competing when it came time to run the big tournaments. Suwama chose wrestling, and then the most Suwama series of events occur as a result of this, but he doesn't really know the rules of wrestling. All he knows is judo, so he just goes in and does judo techniques on his opponents and wins regardless. By his third year, he was doing well enough to enter the national championships for wrestling, and he notes that the pure wrestlers did not like him very much and looked at him with hostile eyes, like he was an enemy who wandered into their sport from judo. So let's go back to the Takagi episode for a moment, because this just reminds me of, um, it's like almost the exact opposite, where Takagi entered judo club, and this was in high school, and didn't do any judo in it at all, uh, because the club owner was elderly and didn't really care. So he just did wrestling, and he only won judo matches with wrestling moves. So it's, it's interesting that they sort of went opposite directions here. Yeah, it truly is. I completely forgot about that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I was like, wow, okay. But that is, that's really funny. I think just this experience of him being a natural, gifted and very strong athlete, able to waltz into judo and then wrestling and show people up is a very good jumbo comparison on its own. But then you have what came next as well. After the national championships, a coach from Chuo University's wrestling team approached him and asked if he would attend Chuo and wrestle for them. If you remember from episode 10 of Kick Out, where we covered Jumbo Saruta's life, Chuo was Jumbo's alma mater as well. Suama ultimately pursued the invitation with Chuo after high school. 
But once Suwama was truly challenged and had to learn proper wrestling techniques and not rely on his judo to force wins, <laughs> he realized how difficult it was. A theme in this article is that of strength. His favorite wrestlers, as I mentioned, when he was growing up were people he perceived as the strongest. It became his goal during his judo years to become physically very strong. He very clearly admires strength, but he couldn't just use brute strength to win his wrestling matches. Suwama said of the experience, when I tried to wrestle properly, I couldn't beat my seniors at all, of course. First and fourth graders have the physical strength difference of an adult and a child. They were strict, it was super tough. My seniors always caught me and trained me in various ways. I was initiated as soon as I became a freshman. And like I mentioned before, Suwama is just an incredibly gifted athlete, so he did improve with time. But in the bigger competitions where it's critical to place well and rack up big wins, like Newcomers Comp, University Championship, and National Championship, the highest Suwama placed was third. I love the way Meow phrased this one line of their article. There was no way a man who longed for strength would be satisfied with this. Suwama also remarked, I want to become number one. But after Chuo, Suwama needed to seek employment in addition to continuing his wrestling training. He was pursued by a corporation called Cleanup Corporation in the Information Systems Department. His days became working at a desk during business hours and training at night. He said it was depressing to go to the training camp after practicing three times a day from morning till night, which exceeded my physical limits. I went overseas to train as well. It was super hard. At one of his training camps, Suwama had a chance meeting with Hiroshi Hase. We know Hase as a semi-retired pro wrestler who worked for New Japan and All Japan before becoming a politician. I do feel that I need to mention that Hase was in the news in 2020 for allegedly sexually harassing a teenage girl, so I'll be keeping my mentions of him in this episode brief. Suwama said of their meeting, when I sparred with Hase-san at the training camp, I went hard as if I was in a real fight because I didn't want to lose against a pro wrestler. Then he said, you suit becoming a pro wrestler and invited me. I was about 24 years old. I wanted to keep it wrestling until I was satisfied. So I got him to wait for a while. This is such an interesting quote to me because Suwama, a massive fan of wrestling almost all his life, basically shoots on Hase the pro wrestler because <laughs> he's been doing judo and wrestling for so long. He doesn't want a pro wrestler to show him up. This meeting really got him back to thinking about pursuing pro wrestling as a career again, but he still had a goal that he really wanted to achieve, the Olympics. He really wanted to enter the Athens Games in 2004. However, he did not qualify and soon after that decided to quit wrestling. Retirement from being an athlete altogether was also on the table because he could have stayed at his desk job and made money there. By then, Suwama had already gotten married at 25, and they had their first son. So staying at his desk job was truly the safest option for him and his family. But ultimately, Suwama decided to give pro wrestling a try because it was what he actually wanted to do with his life. He said, when I thought about my life, I knew that keeping my stable job would be the best. But you know, you want to do what you want to do. When I did baseball and judo, I thought judo was better for me. And when I did judo and wrestling, I thought wrestling was better for me. I thought I should choose what I am good at. And at the time, I thought getting sweaty and giving my everything to pro wrestling was best suited for me. Such a Swama quote. <laughs> it really is. And it does harken back to what you were saying about how his family really pushed that mentality on him. And you can see that there and how um, it's really admirable to do something because it feels right for you and really following your heart. And I think that just speaks for Suwama and what we're going to see out of Suwama coming through this episode. Absolutely. So on March 19th, 2004, 
there was an All Japan Newcomers press conference. And this is where it was announced that Kohei Suwama had joined the promotion. I do want to point out that he did indeed join and initially performed under his full name, Kohei Suwama. We will talk about where that changes eventually. But this is where you get yet another major Jumbo Saruta comparison, in addition to the fact that he also wanted to be an Olympian. If you remember from episode 10, when Jumbo was announced at his own press conference as a new trainee, he said something to the effect of, I will work for All Japan Pro Wrestling. This was somewhat controversial at the time because of the use of the word work. That's how Jumbo became known as a salaryman wrestler, because normally you are invited by a pro wrestling organization to join their dojo. There is a difference in the word usage there that carries weight. That being said, at Suwama's conference, he said, I became employed at All Japan Pro Wrestling. The article makes the connection to his childhood idol, Jumbo Saruta. And it's interesting because while I find the meaning in this section a little bit unclear, it seems that Suwama may have been told to say this, mm. though it's not said by whom. And it gave him anxiety to say this out loud. Wow, that is really interesting. And he did work as a salary man just before this. So the connection is definitely very like intentional. So that's mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Wow, that is really interesting. On April 1st, Suwama joined the All Japan Dojo at 27 years old, away from his wife and son, of course. He joined in on all of the household chores and everything you would expect a new wrestling training to partake in. I want to point out how perhaps unusual it is for Suwama to have been so close to 30 and just starting his pro wrestling career. We have so many examples of the dojos in Japan taking trainees just out of high school, but Suwama's experience reminds me of Takashi Sugira. He was 29 when he decided to stop pursuing his wrestling career after two failed attempts at the Olympics and was ready to quit the self-defense forces. He was also married and had his first daughter, I believe, but entered the All Japan Dojo and stayed in the dojo as a trainee full-time but we know that he wound up debuting for Noah. Suama acknowledged that he was considered older for beginning a pro wrestling career. He said, 27 years old is rather late to be starting pro wrestling, but I believe that I had the physical fitness and for a physical sport, I felt that I could still do much, much more. I think it's remarkable when you look at the career Suama and Sugira have had and what they represent to their promotions and their rosters that they started so late in life, like just truly rare men. Getting back to Suwama, his seniors in the All Japan Dojo at that time in 2004 were Kazushi Miyamoto, Taichi Ishikari, who we know as Taichi, and Masayuki Kono, who most of us know more commonly as just Kono. So we know that Suwama at this point has such a developed background in judo and wrestling, but he struggles initially to adapt to All Japan's style of ukemi. Again, going back to what I said before about Baba's specific philosophy around receiving moves in pro wrestling, which is unique to All Japan's training style. However, Suwama improved. Five other trainees had joined the dojo with Suwama, but after a few months, only him and Akira Raijin remained of that initial group. Half a year after entering the dojo, he was given the date for his debut match in Korokin, which was October 11th, and Suwama was elated. He said, I was ecstatic when they told me to get my shoes and tights made. My dream debut was happening so soon. His family and friends who were able to travel to Korokin came, but Suwama remembers feeling quite nervous. His debut match was against Hiroshi Hase, but he actually had no idea it was going to be Hase until he walked out. His match had been marked with an X where an opponent would go initially, and that's because his real debut opponent was supposed to be Taioke, but there were some flight issues that caused him to miss that show. Suwama said of hearing Hase's music and then experiencing the match, 
I was so surprised. I joined this world because he invited me. I was like, no way, it's Hase. I was surprisingly calm and could hear the audience and was able to have fun. Of course, I was nervous and I was hit, submitted and felt so much pain. But when I fought back, the audience got really into it and cheered, Gambare, Gambare, go for it for me. And I thought to myself, ah, this is fun. I got the taste for it. Like, this is irresistible just very sweet <laughs> like truly truly sweet like you can sense that like part of a fan that you talked about earlier mm-hmm. and it's it's just very um very charming very charming. Very, very interesting and in telling that he remembers so much of his match like his debut match because a lot of wrestlers they just don't remember these matches in in general like the adrenaline kicks in and and, and then there's anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> So I think it's very telling that this one is, is definitely one that he can, yeah. He recalls things with surprising clarity, but yeah. And that's just like an interesting part of his personality, I guess. But I also thought the same thing when I, especially when I was reading through this article, the first couple of times is that like, he does remember so much of his career that it's surprising. Yeah. Cause like, like I said, during those matches, a lot of the times your brain just shuts off and you don't remember a thing. So it's, he remembers all the way back and it's still so clear and still vivid. And that's really interesting that you, uh, you mentioned it's just kind of how he is. Meow wrote that Suama walked away thinking the experience was fun, but this is because he didn't know how hard the world of pro wrestling could be yet. And a lot of his family and friends were there to cheer him on. Certainly Suama learned super quickly that it's actually pretty hard to get those big cheers that pro wrestlers want when they're in the ring uh, during his next appearances. But Suwama very quickly showed off his rising star potential, gaining his first victory in his third career match in a tag with Kaz Hayashi against Akira and Tomoaki Hanma. Not long after, Suwama's seven match trials began. I talked about the importance of trial series for new wrestlers in episode number 12 of Kickout when I talked about Kenta's trials. So check that out if you're curious. But Suwama's first trial match took place on December 5th in Ryogoku Kogikan against none other than Vader, which should tell you a lot about the high hopes All Japan had for Suwama. Suwama said of seeing Vader standing across from him in the ring, when he walked in, I was like, whoa, it was overwhelming. I was watching what I loved on TV in real life in the ring. He was huge. And the Vader hammer was epic, <laughs> which is like one of my favorite quotes I've ever read from Suwama. <laughs> so oh I'm um, losing my mind. He's so cute. Okay. So, <laughs> such a fan. He's such a fan. And it's, it's such really, a fan. It's, it's just fascinating. And I like it. If, like what I, what I really loved about this article is that the way he describes things, like you can kind of like see it like very much from his perspective, right? Of what Vader would have looked like, you know, standing across the ring from him for the first time. Like it's very immersive in that way. It's, it's really cool. So Suwama lost that opening trial match. His next trial matches were as follows. Trial number two on January 16th, 2005 at Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium against Satoshi Kojima. Kojima defeated him. Trial number three on February 16th at Yoyogi National Gymnasium number two in Tokyo against Kensuke Sasaki. Sasaki defeated him. Trial number four on September 23rd at Corrigan Hall against Jamal, or most of us would know him as Umaga. Uh, Umaga defeated him there. And then trial number five on October 22nd at Corrigan Hall against Taioke. Taioke defeated him as well. 
But Suwama's trial stopped at five because they turned him heel and he went on to join the now infamous faction Voodoo Murders after an unsuccessful Triple Crown title challenge between reigning champions Toshi Kojima and Voodoo Murders leader Taru on January 8th, 2006. Suwama expressed a lot of regret over not finishing his trial series. He said, I still wonder about who was going to be my sixth opponent and who would be after that. I want to complete all seven matches before I retire. Personally, I think he should have his sixth and seventh trial matches and his opponent should be a surprise to him then as well. But who should they be? Who should the opponents be? I'm beaming my answer into your head. What is your answer? Junakiyama. Yeah, you could do Junakiyama as the sixth. I don't know who the seventh should be, though. Joe Doring. Oh, you have to make a Joe Doring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it has to be. Yeah, yeah. when he comes back again. Yeah, once he comes back, kicks cancer in the ass, and it'll definitely be Joe Doring. Yeah, so that's how we book it. Six is Junakiyama, seventh is, is Joe. All right, so 2006-2008 is Suama's first voodoo murders era i alluded to this before but joining voodoo murders is where suama stopped performing as kohei suama and just started going by suama the article notes that after he would leave voodoo murders there were suggestions that he change his name back particularly the ma character but suama told me out it gives me the sense of doing whatever i want so he doesn't plan on changing his name back to the original characters or his full name anytime soon and i'm going to throw this to rachel because they might be able to explain the difference in the kanji between his shoot name and his gimmick name better but i think the ma character perhaps means demon yep yeah you you nailed it in one yeah they took out the ma and added in the i'd say i'd probably pronounce it like as mao like on its own but in the whole it's the same pronunciation, Suwama, but it means like demon instead. Mm-hmm. So gives him, I guess, a sense of freedom and a, a sense of, I guess, chaos that suited him. Barreling forward. Strength. There it is. That's the word. Strength. 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 <laughs> yep. And really suits his um his current gimmick, which I'll get into at the end, his commitment oh, to the boy. murders gimmick. But oh boy. We'll get there. <laughs> So Suama would go on to participate in the 2006 Champion Carnival, where he would score a win over champion Kojima and ultimately finish second, losing to Taioke in the finals. That win over Kojima gave him the opportunity to face him for the Triple Crown on June 10th at Mitsui Greenland Amusement Park Rainbow Dome, (laughs) but Suama was defeated. I also want to mention that Voodoo Murders won Tokyo Sports Tag Team of the Year Award in 2006, which kind of made me laugh, but that was Suama's first Tokyo Sports Award. In 2007, something I found kind of interesting was that Suama was sent to TNA in Orlando, Florida to recruit Scott Steiner on July 2nd for All Japan Pro Wrestling's Love in Rio Goku Volume 3 event in Sumo Hall on August 26th. After Suama watched Steiner's match, they agreed to team together and take on the great Muda and Tajiri. At Sumo Hall, Suama and Steiner lost. I just thought this was fascinating. I never knew Suama had been to TNA in any capacity, so loved learning about that. For the rest of 2007, he's mostly in tags with Tajiri and Kojima, who had actually joined Voodoo Murders that July. He also has a short-lived feud with Geico Kujin rookie Joe Doring, which becomes more important later on. In World Tag League, Suwama and Kojima tagged together and went to the finals against Mudo and Joe Doring. They lost to them and ultimately came in second. 
2008 is where we begin to see the rise of Suwama as the ace of all Japan. On January 3rd, 2008, at their show in Corken Hall, Suwama left Voodoo Murders after intervening in a post-match beatdown by Voodoo Murders on behalf of Keiji Mudo and Joe Doring. Afterward, Suwama tore off his VDM shirt and shook hands with Mudo, um, signaling that he was finished with VDM and welcomed back into All Japan's main army. I just find this step in Suwama's road to Aestum interesting when we reflect on Kento Miyahara, who joined and left Voodoo Murders in 2013, also needing to leave that stable in order to start properly building himself up as the next ace of All Japan. And I think I also mentioned that in the All Japan Factions episode that we did was that a lot of the purpose of Voodoo Murders back then seemed to be sort of cycling these people in and out to sort of make them. So it is interesting, especially these two figures that are so hugely important to All Japan. Absolutely. So Suwama did defeat Taru on March 1st at Ryogoku Kogikan to put the Voodoo Murders chapter completely behind him, at least, you know, from that point. And then he entered that year's Champion Carnival in April. The 2008 Champion Carnival was stacked and they had one pretty famous guest that year, Hiroshi Tanahashi in black tights. This is the Tanahashi that I would have been devoted to if I had been introduced to him and not like air guitar, I love you, Tana, in 2014 when I started watching Puro, but what are you going to do? Tanahashi worked this tournament as a heel outsider, and he's just magnificent in how he worked those crowds to hate him and the alterations he made to his style to really suit that more cocky, mean, bastard heel he was playing. He was given, quote unquote, the block from hell, as it was dubbed, and had to face some of All Japan's very best talent at that time, including Taioke, Satoshi Kojima, Toshiaki Kawada, and Keiji Muto, Tana's own mentor. Tanahashi went undefeated in his block. Wow. Suwama was the winner of his block and faced Tanahashi in the finals on April 9th in a truly fantastic match. The crowd in Cork and Hall giving Tanahashi nuclear heat, but treating their man in Suwama like a real hero there to defend all Japan's honor from New Japan represented in Tanahashi is just something you have to experience for yourself. The match is on YouTube and AJPW.TV. So I just highly recommend spending some time with that one. Kyohei Wada, All Japan's famous referee, also plays the third man in that match. And his interactions with both men are just perfect. I really can't say enough about the execution of that particular match. And truly, the booking of a tournament and final like that couldn't be more perfect if you're trying to build a new ace in Suwama. After Suwama defeats Tanahashi to win his first champion carnival, and in that carnival, he had three wins, one loss, and one draw, he leaves the ring, and the elated crowd literally swarms around him. It's magical. It feels like something from a bygone era of Parosu at that point in 2008. Yeah, you said it best. This match is by far one of the best I've seen full stop. It's just incredible. Um, But yeah, that moment with him leaving the arena and everyone just piles around him. Like it's truly, he just blends into the crowd. Like it's, it's really like they swallow him for a moment and then he, you know, emerges again, their hero. Uh, It's, it's kind of a poetic, beautiful moment. And uh, like you said, it, it felt like a bygone era. It felt like we were watching, you know, 90s all japan at that point it really yeah. did Even and then we were was... watching jumbo oh, matches yeah yes actually just to bring it right back to jumbo because i think that is really relevant 
it was it was it's a great match and please check it out and everything alicia said is perfect watching uh heel tana is a revelation if you have not seen it before and then of course uh suama barreling forward to uh quote unquote stop the tana i believe is what he had said was his uh his campaign in uh tanahashi's interview was talking about that match yeah i was recently talking about it on twitter but tanahashi has some great thoughts about the match with Suwama in his column called Aces High, which if you haven't read through that column, um, you should, because it's a great column and Tanahashi is very candid about his thoughts on his career in it. But he talks specifically about facing Suwama and how facing Suwama is he's coming at you straight on the whole time, which is very much a great way to um, (laughs) assess Suwama's brand of offense. Um, He only has one mode and it's straightforward. And Tanahashi describes having to zigzag in order to like stop Suwama, which is genius. So yeah, we'll definitely link that in the show notes. It's it's worth um, looking at. And I also have some great photos of the match from uh, a shoe pro. <laughs> so I'll post, we'll post a lot of things. <laughs> it's worth rewatching after you read it as well to sort of get that, uh, that sort of insight for sure. From there, Suwama received a title shot against reigning Triple Crown champion Kensuke Sasaki on April 29th at Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium in Nagoya. Suwama defeated Sasaki to win his first Triple Crown Championship in another very good match you can find online by Googling it. This was his first title with the company. Suwama holds the distinction of being the fastest to win the Champion Carnival and the Triple Crown from his debut, so three and a half years after his debut. In the article, Meow says that Suwama hit a brick wall there. His goal since stepping foot into All Japan was to become Triple Crown Champion, and he had no idea where to go from there now that he had the belt. In Meow's words, he had never thought about what being the champion would be like after the victory. Suwama said, I wanted to reach the top, but once you were there, then what? Not everyone recognized me as the champion. I may have been overthinking it, but people didn't get me because I was just doing whatever by copying others. Mm. Suwama went on to defend his belt against Osamu Nishimura on June 28th and against Taioke in a time limit draw on August 31st before losing the Triple Crown to the Great Muda on September 28th in Yokohama Bunka Gymnasium. I was talking to Dr. Jonathan Foy, author of Gambaru, about how strange it was that Suwama's first reign ends sort of abruptly with them just getting the belt right back onto Mudo. And Jonathan made the point that All Japan probably wanted Mudo looking really good going into New Japan crossover events that would have been happening at the time. In that same year, Suwama tagged with Shuji Kondo in World Tag League and finished second. So jumping ahead just slightly into 2010, Suwama made his return to the main event title scene and defeated champion Minoru Suzuki on August 29th in Ryogoku Kogikan to capture the Triple Crown for the second time. And at the Korokan show, after his Triple Crown win on September 10th, Suwama got himself into a bit of trouble when he reacted very poorly to the booing Korokan fans and threw his microphone (laughs) into the crowd. He took a 30% pay cut for three months because of this incident and was warned by All Japan. I talked to Jonathan about this as well because I know that this period was not great for business in All Japan, but I wasn't sure if there was more to this story than that just smart fans in Korokan giving Suwama shit, but that's probably what it was and Suwama lost his temper. Suwama came in second place for the second year in a row when he tagged with Ryota Hama during World Tag League but he won Tokyo Sports Performance Award that December as well. Mm. Suwama remarked I am happy that my efforts to lead All Japan Pro Wrestling this year have been recognized in this way with the Distinguished Service Award. As we get into 2011, I want to give you an overview of Suwama's second reign. It was a 420-day reign, his second longest to date. 
His first defense was in 2010 on October 24th. He defeated challenger Masakatsu Funaki at Yokohama Bunka Gymnasium. His second defense was in 2011 on January 10th. He defeated Taioke in Hamakita Gymnasium. His third defense was on March 21st. He defeated Kenso in Ryogoku Kogikan. His fourth defense was on June 19th. He defeated Yuji Nagata, that year's champion carnival winner, in Ryogoku Kogikan. His fifth defense was on July 31st. He defeated Saya Sanada, who had lost to Nagata in the champion carnival finals in Aichi Prefectural Gymnasium. This match was also significant because it marked the first Triple Crown challenge from two students who came up in the Muto era of All Japan, which I found really fascinating. Now, Suwama was very interested in a match with Junakiyama, who was still over in Noah in 2011. The two had a match on October 23rd in Ryogoku Kogikan, and Junakiyama defeated Suwama to become Triple Crown Champion for the first time. I think this was a very special thing given that Akiyama left All Japan when he followed Mitsuharu Misawa to be a part of the formation of pro wrestling Noah in 2000. This match between the two of them is outstanding, so please seek it out. It comes up when you Google it. We're probably going to end up doing some match recommendations on the blog after anyway, so we've got you, but still make sure you watch that one. I also want to, I guess, sort of get into the who of who Suwama faced during these reigns because we often get into discussing champions in these sort of more difficult years for let's say all Japan and Noah and sometimes it comes down to well was so-and-so's reign successful like who did they face right like who you know who was the caliber of their of their challengers and I think that Suwama has faced a pretty impressive lineup of people during his reigns and that's notable at least to me. Yeah, no, I think it is. I think that was a very impressive run. And it's it's interesting that that's only his second longest, you know, like that really speaks towards Suwama and, and the sort of faith that All Japan has in him, had in him. And it's, um, it is very, it's just very interesting to note who he had faced and who he dropped the title to, because that's definitely not, you're, you're not suffering when you uh, drop the title to Junakiyama. So um, as a, as a character, that is significant. So 2012 is another interesting period of transition for Suwama. He's not really getting great results coming off of his Triple Crown loss. And I think today, many people know Suwama as a tag wrestler because of his later success in the division. But at this point in 2012, he's not been a successful tag wrestler, and it's bothering him that he keeps coming up short there. He has this singles match with Joe Dolring, who he keeps sort of running back into at this point. On October 21st in Nagoya International Conference Hall, Their match ended in a double knockout after about two minutes, but then they restarted and their second match ended in a double countout in about five minutes. These matches are pretty violent and they're both definitely trying to convey their frustration at their current positions in all Japan. But this match brought them together, which is an incredibly Suwama-like thing to happen, right? If we are thinking back to how much he respects strength, Joe being able to stand in the ring with him and trade blows as good as Suwama was giving it to him would be extremely appealing to someone like Suwama. So soon after, they formed the tag team Last Revolution. If you've been with us for a minute, you heard us talk about Last Revolution on episode nine of Kickout, All Japan Factions. The name was taken from their finishers, Suama's Last Ride and Joe Doring's Revolution Bomb. This would often get shortened to L slash R, and this was intentional as well because they wanted to convey the positioning of them. They would stand together, Suama being on the right and Joe being on the left. (laughs) 
That's so, so throughout the entire All Japan's Factions episode, we kept complimenting how good all of the faction names were. And uh-huh. somehow this one just got better. Yeah, it got yeah. better because I, I found different show reports. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fantastic. I love that. And they're also, it also means left and right. Wink, wink. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. To my point about Suwama feeling like a lackluster tag wrestler by 2012, Joe Doring had been a much more successful tag wrestler in all Japan. From 2008 through that point in 2012, he had world tag team title runs with Muto, Kono, and Sonata. But that being said, he was lacking true single success and just some momentum in the promotion at that time. Through their partnership, they wanted to create a revolution in all Japan. Suwama and Joe became an official tag team ahead of that year's World Tag League and wound up going to the finals, but they lost to Get Wild, Manabu Soya, and Takao Mori. Jumping into 2013, Suwama would face Triple Crown champion Masakatsu Funaki for the title on March 17th in Ryogoku Kogikan. Suwama defeated him to become Triple Crown champion a third time. After this, Last Revolution expanded into a unit when Kazuhayashi, Shushi Kondo, and Yasufumi Nakanawe joined. There was a sense of strength in numbers at this time. However, we need to do a little sidebar <laughs> and talk about 2013 as a whole in all Japan. Ooh. This is one of my favorite periods of time in the company because the third incarnation of Burning begins in January of that year. And I've said it before on this podcast, I'll probably say it 400 more times, but that several months period where it was all Japan versus Burning is some of the greatest wrestling in modern Purasu. Additionally, This was a chaotic time for the company with some real implications for their business. And you have two major players in some of that chaos. Keiji Muto had been president of All Japan from 2002 until 2011. We talked about this in AJPW Factions, but Muto stepped down as president because of the controversy surrounding Voodoo Murders member Taru's vicious attack on Nobukazu Harai, aka Super Hate, that left him with brain damage. Muto stayed on as a wrestler and member of the board of directors. Masayuki Uchida, from the board, became president of All Japan. Keep this in mind. We also have Nobuo Shirashi, who became the owner of All Japan when his company Speed Partners, which was later renamed to Hachibori Investment, acquired 100% of All Japan shares on November 1st, 2012. Shirashi was pretty controversial right out of the gate. He had a bit of an interest in emulating Vince McMahon, definitely a lot of interest in WWE and the way they conduct their business. He made some controversial statements regarding New Japan on Facebook that made relations between the companies really tense as well. Muto and his business associates sold all of their shares in All Japan to speed partners for 200 million yen. Flash forward to June 1st, 2013, Uchida, who was a big Muto guy, was forced out by Shirashi and Shirashi became president. As a result, Muto resigned from All Japan's board and left to fully form Wrestle One. Muto tried to negotiate with Shirashi to buy back his shares, but when negotiations ended, he just took a good chunk of the roster, which included Funaki, Kono, Kai, Sanada, uh, Nakanoe, Hama, Minoru Tanaka, Kasayashi, Shuji Kondo, Hiroshi Yamato, Andy Wu, and trainees. All of this to say that even with some of the incredible wrestling happening in All Japan's ring in 2013, business is a bit of a mess and fans are really unhappy. Shirashi himself began booking All Japan, which had terrible implications for the promotion, when he officially became president in June. 
something that becomes pretty recurring for Suwama during his time as ace of the company is that he often has to stand pretty steadfast to bad business and chaotic management choices and changes. It falls to him again and again to keep his company afloat against the backdrop of management's mistakes. So getting back into Suwama's part of the story, Last Revolution was a faction for all of minutes before Muto left All Japan with several members of the group. So Joe announced that Last Revolution would be disbanded after June 30th of 2013. By July, Joe and Suwama would be teaming as Evolution. They chose this name because they wanted to evoke the feeling that Last Revolution had evolved. Again, this period of wrestling is incredible because you have Burning, aka Junakiyama, Goshi Azaki, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Atsushi Aoki, and Kotor Suzuki having left Noah to come to All Japan and work as outsiders against All Japan, which has risen against them to try to stop them from taking over, so to speak. Suwama and Takao Mori even put aside their probably kayfabe differences to join forces <laughs> against Akiyama and his warts. So you really have this sense of two stalwarts of All Japan coming together to protect their company from this group of invaders. Suwama and Joe defeated Akiyama and Shiyazaki of Burning to take the World Heavyweight Tag Titles from them on October 22nd in Sakai Gymnasium, and Suwama still held the Triple Crown Championship at that time, making him the first quintuple crown champion in 12 years. Suwama's third reign lasts 224 days, and he defended the belt against champion carnival winner Jun Akiyama on June 30th in Ryogoku Kogikan and against Goshiyazaki on August 25th in Ota City General Gymnasium before he dropped the Triple Crown to Akebono on October 27th in Ryogoku Kogikan. So we head into 2014, and Evolution became a stable when Hikaru Sato asked to join and Suwama accepted his request on February 16th. Ultimately, Joe and Suwama hold their tag belts for 249 days. They lost to Wild Burning, Akiyama, and Takao Mori on June 28th in Sapporo Tyson Hall. Perhaps surprisingly, this would be Joe and Suwama's only tag run together. But Suwama wouldn't be down for long because literally the very next night in the same venue, Suwama would defeat Triple Crown Champion Takao Mori to become a four-time Triple Crown Champion. He would be dethroned 28 days later by Evolution faction mate and tag partner Joe Dolring at Corican Hall on July 27th. Also on July 27th, after defending the World Junior Heavyweight title from Sato, Atsushi Aoki announced he would join Evolution. Suwama had been courting him for a while. He and Sato began teaming together as hentai jiatai or pervert self-defense forces. Today, Evolution, I think, has a different reputation than they may have once started with, but Suwama did intend for the group to be violent. And they did have this, like, earlier theme of militarization to them for a while. If you go back and, like, watch stuff and, like, look at pictures and, and stuff, which is interesting. Yeah, I don't think I actually knew that about them so that's interesting that the uh the group itself evolved as yes. it was <laughs> i think the visuals i remember were like the track jackets that were super cool so that kind of thing after goshiyazaki left all japan in late 2015 suwama offered his former tag partner kento miyahara a spot in evolution kento declined but agreed to tag with suwama for the 2015 real world tag league tournament after they won the tournament, Kento expressed interest in continuing to tag with Suwama, but Suwama attacked him and instead announced that Naoya Nomura, who had been seeking admission to the unit, would join Evolution instead. Suwama's rivalry with Kento is one of the most important stories of modern day all Japan. You have the older or aging ace in Suwama versus the up and coming at the time or younger ace in Kento Miyahara. It's a classic story in a lot of ways and one we've seen before, certainly within all Japan itself. You can certainly put them in the Jumbo Amisawa roles, right? And make sense of them in that mm -hmm. way. 
Suwama's rejection of Kento is the catalyst for Nextream forming. Nextream was meant to bring forth a generational change within all Japan. So Suwama winds up being at the center of that generational change. He represents that final mountain to climb, the very pinnacle of the promotion for not just Kento, but people like Jake Lee, Yuma Aoyagi, Naya Nomura. They all have different relationships to him, but they all need to overcome him to really stand on their own two feet in the company. 2016 is the beginning of a rough period for Suwama and evolution in general. On January 2nd, Suwama defeated Akiyama to become Triple Crown Champion for a fifth time in Korokin. He was stripped of the title 10 days later because he ruptured his Achilles tendon and would need to take time off to recover. In February, it was announced that Joe Doring was battling brain cancer. He would be sidelined for many months to seek surgery and treatment for his cancer. Suwama returned to All Japan in July of 2016 and won that year's Royal Road Tournament, defeating Shuji Ishikawa in the finals. He challenged Triple Crown Champion Kento Miyahara, but lost. In 2017, Suwama became Triple Crown Champion for a sixth time when he defeated Kento Miyahara at Korokin on October 9th, delivering Kento a Zero Defenses Championship reign, which is Blew crazy. my mind. Blew my mind. Incredibly, he only held the title for 12 days before he dropped the title to Joe Doring on October 21st in Yokohama Bunka Gymnasium. Joe had beaten his cancer and come back to All Japan in 2017 for a time, but he had left Evolution and kicked off a storyline where he was trying to quote-unquote kill his former faction. <laughs> Sato was also feuding with Suwama at this point, so it was really only Aoki and Suwama left in Evolution at that point, reducing them to a tag team once again. A weird recurring pattern with them, as we may see over time here. In 2018, Yusuke Okada would join Evolution and Sato would rejoin, bringing them back to four. But as we've discussed before, Atsushi Aoki would pass away in 2019. And I can't really stress enough how this affected that roster and still does to this day. So at this point, Suwama was in need of a new tag partner. And he and Shuji Ishikawa formed Violent Giants just ahead of 2017's Real World Tag League. Suwama and Ishikawa won that tournament and went on to face the champions to Kawamori and Junakiyama on January 3rd in Corken Hall. Violent Giants defeated Wild Burning and kicked off their first reign with the tag belts. This is the era that I think a lot of our listeners are probably most familiar with before we get into Suwama's more recent Triple Crown reign, but Violent Giants is Suwama's most successful and most decorated tag team. Suwama and Shuji Ishikawa are the 79th, 83rd, 85th, and 87th World Tag Team Champions. Their reigns spanned between 2018 and 2021. Their longest run, their fourth one, was 366 days. Ishikawa was never a member of Evolution. We've talked about this in AJPW Factions as well. He was just Evolution adjacent. He worked with them in big tags, but never had to join in order to do Violent Giants with Suwama. They also won the 2017, 2018, and 2019 Tokyo Sports Award for Best Tag Team. So we get into 2020. Violent Giants are the tag champions, having defeated Ryuji Sai and Zeus on January 2nd in Korokin to regain the belts. The pandemic begins and all Japan shows are being reduced. So it's just a very uncertain and chaotic time for the company once again. On March 23rd in Korokin, Suwama defeats Kento for the Triple Crown, becoming a seven-time champion, which wow. became the record to beat at the time, but then he takes it one step further as well. We're just not quite there yet. This becomes Suwama's longest reign to date, 454 days, during an extremely, as I said, uncertain time for the company. The pandemic changed the industry overnight, and companies like All Japan had no choice but to move forward the best they could. Kento was coming off like a five-year or so period of being in the main event and putting the belt back on Suwama. 
made sense and that he is a reliable draw for them. But I know people had a lot of opinions and feelings on this as well. And I think some of that is rooted in that people, newer fans to All Japan, I don't think really know Suwama, if that makes sense, which is part of why we wanted to cover Suwama in this episode. It's really interesting because this is when I started, I didn't really start watching AJPW during this time period that would come a year later, but I started going on Twitter more and seeing more takes on All Japan and the narrative surrounding Suwama was very negative, very like disparaging of what he could do for the company. And so going through this episode and learning exactly what he can do for the company and and who he is to this company is um, a lot more enlightening to sort of see. And, And like I think you said, is that a lot of people saying those remarks or having those opinions just simply didn't really know him. So yeah, that is very a very good reason to do this episode. It sheds a lot of light into the 2020 era and onward for Suwama. And Suwama really defines that role of the monster veteran at the top of his promotion during this period, which is a great use of him. He has defenses against Shotor Ashino twice, Shushi Ishikawa, Zeus, Yuma Ayagi, Kohei Sato, and Yoshitatsu. The Tatsu's defense was Suwama's last defense as champion because they got into Champion Carnival, which Jake Lee won, and then Suwama got COVID and was unable to compete, so he returned the Triple Crown. We've talked about that period of time so much on this podcast. I won't get into all of it again, but I think there is a lot to walk away with when we look back at Suwama's seventh reign now. Time and time again, he's put in a position where he has to lead the company forward through really tough times, often splitting that duty with Kento after Kento's rise to young ace. And there are some excellent matches in this run. I think the Yuma Aoyagi match is one of the best matches to come out of this time period and a perfect use of Suwama and where he is today. He was so mean. (laughs) He was really mean. Both Ashino matches are really, really good as well, as is the Ishikawa match. Also, as your Evolution update, Dan Tamara joined Evolution in July of 2020. So Evolution at that time was Suwama, Dan, Sato, and up until he left in December of 2020, Yusuke Okada. Violent Giants also came to its natural conclusion after incredible runs, and Suwama moved into a new and perhaps unlikely at the time partnership with Shotaro Ashino, something a lot of us had opinions about at the time, but I think it ended up working out in the end. Shotaro began joining Evolution for Tags in June of 2021. On September 7th, they defeated Nextream to become World Tag Team Champions. They announced their official name, Runaway Suplex, a few days later during a press conference, and Suwama described their union as an alliance between Evolution and Anfans Tarib. Um, solidifying, again, that Chotaro was never a member of Evolution. Um, he was still very much just Evolution-adjacent in that partnership. But, you know, Runaway Suplex became like its own Shuji Ishikawa. Yeah. yeah, very a la Shuji Ishikawa and Violent Giants. And again, this was another great use of Suwama at this stage. Many of us felt like Ashino was at risk of becoming Suwama's bag boy, but that's not how it played out. And this partnership actually did a lot to raise Ashino's profile in All Japan. And I really like that. I like that he went from, and this is something that you really benefit from getting the full context here, is that he went from not having any success in tag teams. And that's being something that he really wanted to make as a goal in his career. And then he got so good at being in a tag team that he can now use that to elevate younger wrestlers and not, you know, the tags aren't really focused on him anymore. It's now, you know, Ashino's sort of ball game. And uh, that was definitely in a lot of runaway suplex matches. You could really, really tell that. So it's kind of cool to see that evolution as it were. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And it's something that like, I think gets missed in all this too, is that Suwama does really like to teach. He teaches people in the dojo. He's been teaching people wrestling for a really long time. So he does have a role in the way people are taught in the dojo. And I, you know, I don't know if he's still doing this because there's a lot of stuff that he does outside of wrestling that we'll talk about at the end of this episode. But um, in that 2008 period, like he was still teaching like high school age kids how to wrestle. He just enjoys doing that. So Suama is innately a teacher. And that really came across in his relationship with Ashino. You could mm-hmm. see that they did a lot of like uh, filming of stuff with them in the ring, just like in the dojo. And like, there was always that sense of like Suwama and um, Ashino, tra- they would like torture Dan, um, but they were doing <laughs> a lot of training. And like, I think like that comes across really well because it is a facet of, it's interesting because Suwama stands opposed to the generational change, right? Because he doesn't want to be forced out of his own role, but at the same time, he is inherently a teacher. So Now we get into 2022 and we have Suama starting to just exhibit some really unhinged behavior. He's talking about (laughs) wanting to shake things up, wanting a change. Champions Night 3 and Oda City General Gymnasium happens on March 21st. And we're told there's going to be a one night only voodoo murders reunion. We all should have known we were getting worked here. But many of us, myself included, said, fine, you get one night old man. Suama even dyed his signature half blonde hair red for the occasion. The match booked for Champions Night 3 was Total Eclipse, Jake Lee, Koji Doi, Kuma Arashi, Tajiri, and Yusuke Kodama versus Voodoo Murders, Kono, Shuji Kondo, Suwama, Taru, and Toshizo, which ended in no contest and appeared to be a way to heat up a returning Jake Lee, who had been out after getting his orbital bone broken, and Suwama, who was always asserting his dominance over the younger generation. I also want to note here for fun that I believe Suwama scouted Jake when Jake was doing weightlifting in college, and that's how Jake joined All Japan in 2011. So there's this sense that Suwama brought him into wrestling, and Jake has to live up to that when they clash. After Champions Night 3, Suwama complained of headaches and said he couldn't remember what happened. A man dedicated to his own gimmick. So yeah, long story short, we got worked, and Voodoo Murders was brought back full-time in May, and up until a brief break for the Budokan show, the dominant storyline there has been Voodoo Murders versus All Japan. The re-emergence of Voodoo Murders resulted in the end of Runaway Suplex, and Ashino started his own faction, Gunier of Anarchy, and Suama leaving Evolution, which is now just Dan and Sato, so back to a tag team at the moment. I want to talk about Suama's commitment to the gimmick when it comes to Voodoo Murders. He dyes half his head red now, because he's evil, but has dyed it back to blonde on occasions where he needs to be Kohei Suwama, executive director, because he does have a professional role in the company to this day beyond just being a wrestler. He will still act like he can't remember the voodoo murder stuff. And then when he performs, he just dyes his hair right back to red and goes by evil executive director Suwama, which Tokyo Sports uses a lot in their articles. And it's super funny. So funny. This man just committed to the bit, as the kids would say. Without getting two into the discourse because we'll probably be wading into that discourse again with things we have planned coming up. Suwama defeated Jake Lee on July 14th in Corrigan Hall to become Triple Crown Champion for the eighth time, which is the record to beat now, I believe. Suwama recently lost his belt to Kendo after 66 days in the Budokan on September 18th. Another match that had more than a few opinions, and while I do not necessarily agree with how they got there, I ultimately do think they were perhaps the right choice for this main event, because wrestling is rarely about what is deserved, and I'm not sure if that's a controversial statement or not, 
but the people who deserve things get passed over in this brutal little industry all the time. Suama and Kento kept that company going during some of their roughest periods of transition and poor business in the modern era. So it's fitting that they wound up in the main event at the first Budokan show All Japan held on their own since 2004. And, you know, I, I agreed with you right from the bat when you said this, but I think after watching that October 2017 match, I could really feel it. Like there there really is something to be said about how the promotion almost pivots around them. Like you can say that about any number of young ace, aging ace relationships, but the chemistry that they have is it's unquestionable. And yeah, it's, it really is electric, the two of them. So I really can't think of a better main event for the Budokan. It really feels like those two are all Japan. I can't agree more. And that's kind of where we are today. I mean, Suama is still in Voodoo Murders and we don't really know where that's headed, but I think of Purasu's working aces, he often gets left out of the conversation or people don't appreciate the bigger picture when you look at his career over time. So that was sort of the important part of why we wanted to cover him in this way and why it was so fun to watch a ton of Suama matches and why we wanted to use the article that I had on him as like our first professionally translated article. So yeah, it was awesome. And I wanted to share real quick some Fun little facts about Suama. I think people know these, but I just want to um, to tell you guys these things again because he's just such an interesting person. But he owns and operates his own rice farm. Dan Tamara works on the rice farm, which is really funny to me. I think it's like very much like Kobashi who owns a gym and Goshiyazaki <laughs> worked in that gym for a long time. It's like you've got to get your youngest ward to come do <laughs> yep. the work, which I think is yep. hilarious. Suama also distributes his own coffee blend. There's some pictures of him like holding up like the little bags and it says like Suama's coffee on it. I didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah. I had no idea. That's so funny. Reminds me of Sharon Nui Curry. Is it Curry? Yeah, Mark Fuji Sharon Nui Curry. Yep, that's right. So that's super interesting as well. Something that we talk about, we've talked about, you and I have talked about a lot because we just think it's really funny. He's such a wife guy, which is oh, like hilarious. He talked about like how much he just appreciated his wife um, taking care of him when he was recovering from his bout with COVID, which was, you know, it took him a minute to get over that. And um, he was really grateful for his wife, but he took that as the opportunity to be like, Kento needs to find a wife. Like that was his in to then like yeah. <laughs> weirdly take a shot at Kento over this. And like, he's, this was like in the media. And um, in some of his more like out of control Tokyo sports interviews as of late, um, when he's when he's very much in evil executive director mode, he's called Kento a womanizer. So take that for what you will. But Tospo is very much like the uh, what would you like the gossip rag? Yeah, um, the everything's done in kayfabe. Little, yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I'm, I'm not sure I would quite uh, believe that, but it is a very funny thing, and I think it's telling towards Suwama's character anyway barreling straight forward as yeah. we have mentioned yep uh, what you see is what you get with him and he will always commit to it 100% of the way and uh, yeah I think that ties into some of the themes of strength wouldn't you yeah like when you think about like the wrestlers that inspired him when he was a kid Bruiser Brody Jumbo like Stan like the people that he really admired like it like it makes complete sense that he is the wrestler that he is today someone who like just admires strength and barreling straightforward like like that sort of fright train type of action like that is what Suama is from start to finish like there's 
the playbook with him is fairly straightforward, but it is incredibly effective in the same way that you could look at like Stan Hansen's off yeah. in particular, you know? And it's interesting because uh, now he's in this role where he is putting over a lot of these younger wrestlers. Would you still say that that sort of barrel straightforward sort of ring philosophy, that idea of strength works towards the advantage of putting over these younger wrestlers? The reason I say this is because I think we've been thinking a lot about um, Tanahashi talking about his own ring philosophy of focusing on making the other person shine. Would you say Suwama's doing sort of the same thing when he barrels forward or is it more of a straightforward eyes on me sort of approach? I do think his philosophy in those matches, like when you look at a match like the October 2017 match with Kento, you can see where the barreling straight ahead thing doesn't work anymore because his mm-hmm. opponents have evolved around him they're much different wrestlers than the people he was facing when he was younger even and but nothing exemplifies that more than the ending of that match where suwama pulls out a fucking drop kick to level kento in order to get that finish and it comes out of nowhere it's like one of the most incredible things i've ever seen i was shocked i had alicia play back the uh finish because i just didn't see it coming at all and um I think that speaks a lot towards what Alicia is saying here. Cause all throughout the whole match, I assumed that Suwama would be putting Kento over. Um, it just, that match seemed like it was going that direction. So I definitely think that there is that sense of Suwama sort of not necessarily switching styles, but knowing when to change, to dig deep in order to sort of show the younger generation encroaching on him and encroaching on that yeah. idea of strength. Yeah. There's in that match, like you can see where he's barreling straight ahead, but he's not getting the result he wants. Yes. He, can't, he can't quite put Kento down. So he has to pull something out that is not necessarily a part of his normal. Yeah, no, not at all. In order to literally try to like murk Kento to put yeah. him down to yeah. take the triple <laughs> crown back. So in that way, like to answer, I guess, the central part of your question, if he's someone who looks to put a lot of shine on his opponents versus someone like um muto who who wrestles a muto match every time he gets in the ring no matter who he's with yeah do you think that inherently suwama is always going to go out and wrestle a suwama match that just feels like after watching his matches over time that feels much more in line with his philosophy do i think that like there are absolutely moments where he you can tell that they're working to like put shine on someone else. Yeah. Um, I think that like the Yuma Aoyagi match from 20, was it 2020 or 2021? Mm-hmm. I think that's a great example of 100%. that, of like working to, working to show Yuma's potential is what that match was certainly built around. But is Suama going to go out and work a Suama match because he wants to win? Yeah. Suama wants to be number one. I don't, I don't, I think that's very much, um, it's very much a part of his philosophy when he was, you know, a shoot athlete. And then, in being a yeah. professional wrestler and, and, a, and as part of his character, that is very much present as well. That's exactly what I was hoping to, uh, the insight to get out of you. And that's very, very useful. And I think speaks to a lot of what we've talked about this episode. So we watched several Suwama matches, a few of them that we have mentioned during this episode, but we wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the matches we watched and uh, recommend them to you guys. So let's get into it. So one that, I like to talk about and we'll go out of order in this because we watched 
Suwama matches from all over his career. But one that I like to talk about a lot is Last Revolution, which is Suwama and Doring versus Burning in Akiyama and Shiyazaki from June 2nd, 2013 in Korokin. That tag match is just like stellar. It's it so ruled. good. It just ruled. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was so good. It's a slower oh, okay. build to the final sequences. Like the beginning is definitely a little bit slower, but that's like intentional because of the way of the way they're building to the finish. And what I find really cool and really important about that tag is Suwama the whole time is in the Jumbo Saruda role. Yeah. And you have Akiyama playing the role of himself. You have <laughs> um, Doring playing Stan Hansen. And that's just a comparison that he gets, you know, quite a bit. And then you have Shiyazaki playing a young super generation army, Kenta Kobashi. And this works fucking perfectly. Like last revolution work Shio so hard that they eventually just get him to the outside and Shio has to lay there selling forever, which is like mm-hmm. exactly what they would do to Kobashi when um, in those earlier super generation army tags, they would like work him hard and they would single him out. And every time he'd get in the ring, he'd end up in like a hold minutes at a time, just getting worked over. And this would like, you know, result in him being able to like come back and get that big baby face pop. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what they let, you know, Shiyazaki have that role in that match and it works just perfectly. And like those final ending sequences of this match are absolutely breathtaking. And Suwama plays um, a role in that because again, you get that like like straightforward offense with him where it's just brutal lariat after brutal lariat after brutal lariat. And oh God, I, I like, I cannot say enough about that match. It's just like, to me, like that, that period of time before things got really bad and like burning v3 ended super prematurely in a way that it never really should have that period of time in wrestling is just so special and important and it's just like something that like we're never gonna see again it's just like yeah it's hard to explain unless like you really spend time i guess in that time period and i recommend that you do it's it's kind of a pain in the ass to pull up the matches but it's just so good like there's just something so special about that time period so it's some it's a match i highly recommend suama and joe were just outstanding together too there's a rarity to it of being in, you know, a post Kings Road nineties uh, all Japan era and managing to sort of emulate that match and put on, like you said, almost a tribute match of sorts, but it doesn't feel like a rehash if because you have this storyline of burning versus all Japan. There's still a story going on about it. And it's still an important match, but it just sort of emulates that weight of King's Road rather than sort of trying to copy something, rather than trying to make magic happen twice, make lightning strike twice. And what actually happened was lightning struck twice because they were still working within um, what was going on in the promotion at the time, which I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, But yeah, that that match is just, it's stellar. It it just, it popped me hard. Yeah, the ending is just you you forget to breathe after a little while. Like you you're sort of watching it, you're going along, you're kind of getting it and then all of a sudden you're just like, "Wow, my heart has not slowed down." Um so that kind of match and I cannot recommend that enough. We watched one of Suwama singles matches with Joe, and I know that was I believe your first time seeing that match. Yes, correct. So why don't you talk to me about your thoughts on Suwama and Joe's relationship? So the um, first time I watched it, I think 
or well, I have only watched it once so far, but when I watched it, I think the very first thing I said to you towards the end was, wow, these two love each other so much. Like just the absolute, I guess, respect that they show towards each other. And you can just see a lot of care and that bond that they have. Uh, when you just in this episode were talking about that match and you said that the storyline was that Joe wanted to kill his former teammate, I would have never guessed that in a million years watching this match. And that's not a bad thing at all. Uh, it's not like they dropped the storyline. It's just that because the match is brutal like it is, but you can still tell how much they care and love each other and you know where joe is in his life and coming back from cancer it's it's something that's just really touching to watch and that match is just really really good and really uh good to see yeah absolutely i think what always sort of has um struck me about the way suama and joe are is that like it's, it's a very sentimental relationship i think for them mm-hmm. they're very important to each other and they sort of got Put together during a period of time where both of them were looking for um, a change and, and sort of to find mm-hmm. you know new heights in all Japan. So Suama had already been sort of to the top and Joe hadn't been quite there yet. But I mean for Joe especially, Suama helped raise Joe's profile and brought him into the point where he was considered like a legitimate triple crown contender. And that's incredibly special. So that really does come across in that match. So you can see in that October 2017 match, even though the build has been that, you know, they've got to go in hard with Joe wanting to destroy (laughs) evolution and get at Suama, whatever, but you can see like how much they mean to each other and how important it is that, that it's those two, you know, for, for the triple crown. And yeah, they're, they just have a very unique relationship and it seems like Suwama is pretty close to the evolution guys in general him and Sato have a really interesting relationship (laughs) to Um, say the least yeah to say the least Dan and him have a very like they're very close Dan I think as he gets older will emulate Suwama more and more in terms of his style and the way he carries himself but yeah like him and Joe just have such a special relationship that um is sort of fascinating but like like nothing exemplifies that more than I think that 2017 singles match and then of course in the way they got together you know strength kind of finding strength in that way like it's such a that's a good way to put it yeah yeah it's such a natural (laughs) connection that sort of formed between the two like um, this was so fun to revisit because like we we touched a lot on quite a bit of this for all Japan factions but to really get into some of the details of him and um, Joe sort of finding their their way toward each other to form that tag it just makes so much sense that they did and yeah it's just evolutions are really uh we talked about this as well but it's just a very special and very strange little faction and sort of always has been but some of the best people have been a part of it yeah and that's a really good way to say it and you saying strength founding finding strength and i know you'd mentioned that earlier in the episode but just the way you phrased it just really touches me it's it's very sweet so weird and sweet evolution even though it never ever meant to be that way in the beginning not in the beginning anyway no to be violent (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately suama is at the end of the day a big old wrestling fan and has a lot of love for it so can't hide from that and just another match i'll mention too that i really really love and just recommend because it's so great is um yoshihiro takiyama versus suama which is on youtube and I make the difference there because a lot of these other matches are not on YouTube and they're a pain in the ass, but 
We'll do our best to get them linked for you. Uh, Yoshihiro Takayama versus Suwama is like, it's violent. And yeah. it's just, you know, two men just like clashing in like the best way possible. But I I absolutely adore this match. And I'm always going to um, plug a Takayama match where I can, because people should watch more of those and talk about them. I can't say enough about how um, intensely cool this match is as well. Intense is a word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brutal is is usually that's that's the phrase. Yeah. Um definitely check out that match. That match was really fun to to watch um as I was going through a lot of these. So um yeah, when they when they start trading those punches, <laughs> that's everything. Um and then all the way to the end from there is just insanity, just absolute unadulterated violence. Ten out of ten would recommend. Yeah, that's a two thousand and nine match. <laughs> And um, it was a Triple Crown uh, title match. Takayama actually ends up defeating Suwama for the Triple Crown. So the stakes are are really high. And there's something about like, su- like it's like big match Suwama, you know? Like, yeah. like when, when you have a Triple Crown match and Suwama is involved, especially in a lot of those like earlier matches in his career, like you are getting something like really special and really- Striving um, for strength. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, that one is- um, you know, cannot recommend that one more really. Yeah. Excellent. And I think these matches really show off that uh, ideal for strength and where he was and versus where he is now, where he has sort of found that strength, wouldn't you say? I think so. And I think that with him, the meaning of strength has evolved over time. He's 45. Mm-hmm. He's going to be turning 46 very soon in a month. Um, he'll be 46. Happy early so, birthday, Suwama. That's right. So his idea of strength, like most older wrestlers' idea of strength has had to evolve and mm. change. But where he still finds himself in All Japan is, is is very important. We just came off of the Budokan, which we just discussed. All Japan had incredible numbers. They blew Noah out of the water. Hell yeah. I think the only maybe group they perhaps didn't blow out of the water was like a g1 final or something in the yeah g1 was one of i think the biggest um po well pandemic crowds i will say pandemic crowds to date in japan so um that's that's a pretty high bar but other than that like that it was pretty much higher than i think i don't have it the number stacked up against stardom but other than that, I think those were just really, really impressive numbers. They did almost 5,000, which I think is where they want to be. And, and that was just really good. And yeah. it's it's really good to see where All Japan sort of is back at the Budokan. And hopefully things continue from there and beyond just the 50th anniversary. Yeah. And Suwama still plays, you know, a role in that. We're in like a oh, weird yeah. place Shoot. where that was the point that I was trying to make. We're in this sort of place where there's a lot of talk about the older wrestler sitting at the top of some of these mm-hmm. promotions and are they suffocating the younger generations and you know what does that look like and what does that mean is that true you know and we can debate on that back and forth amongst the different promotions and talk about various people and, oh, we could do a whole episode on yeah. it if we really wanted yeah, yeah we could do a lot of discourse around that but i think <laughs> with um suwama you know what we have seen in watching these matches while getting into the later part of his career and, and, you know, being a part of these matches in a different way. Suwama is, is so a part of all Japan still. 
Um, you know, he is the, the older ace, but he is certainly not the being phased out ace. He is still very much, you know, a part of this company and the direction that it goes in. So, you know, that's, I think, an important thing to, to keep in mind about him. You can't count Suwama out just yet. Thank you all so much for listening to and supporting Kickout. We are, as always, so, so grateful for all of you, for your kind feedback and comments. Please don't forget to subscribe to or follow us on your platform of choice that you get our episodes first when they drop. Subscribing to us and giving us a five-star review or rating on your preferred platform really does help us grow Kickout. And as always, if you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at Kickout299. You can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y Star. And you can find Alicia at Kai with two eyes. We also have our blog, kickout299.wordpress.com. We have great stuff up there. Rachel just wrote a great preview on Kento and Kaito's upcoming match. So please make sure you go to our blog and read all about them. And some of our other contributors have great stuff up there as well. And if you want to submit questions, feedback, or if you have a pitch for the blog or the podcast, please email us at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. We have a lot of really cool episodes coming your way. On October 11th, we have a Hiroshima biography. On October 25th, we are doing a little relaxed fit, talking over some of our favorite matches with the wrestling podcasts, Gareth and Liam, and we're really excited about that one. And on November 8th, we are starting a new series on great rivals in Puro, and that is going to start off with none other than Maruken. So look forward to that. And as always, make sure that you follow our Twitter to see what else we have planned for upcoming episodes and projects. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon.